1: What it do, dolphins fans, and welcome into the Friday, December the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you bring you your dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's all Twitter mailbag. We're going to lock it up to start the show and then jump right into your questions after that. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. We're going to follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have we the have, debut piece up there right now, as well as a bunch of content from Jason Harina over the week. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Excellent numbers. I kind of used all the content that I had for the week on yesterday's show, and since I'm doing these podcasts back-to-back on Wednesday night, I had exactly zero time to refresh the hopper and get some new content, so we do strictly mailbag podcasts, but first we start tonight with the lock of the week. Lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. You lock lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. And today's lock comes from the content from yesterday's podcast after last week's horrid misstep of going for the Dolphins with a double-digit win, which I think could have happened if not for all those mistakes. That's neither here nor there. The safe play this week, week, Joe Mixon eclipsing not 100 yards, but 150 yards on the ground against this Dolphins defense. You heard me rattle off the stats on yesterday's podcast. He averages 5.4 yards per carry off left end, 4.8 yards per carry off right end, and 64% of his missed tackles happened in those areas and runs in that direction you got taco charlton charles harris trent harris jamal davis i mean naga naga not gonna work here anymore know what i'm saying that's the lock of the week joe mixon over a buck 50 let's now turn to your questions via the twitter mailbag and we start with this one non-football related from martin he's at devon underscore dolphin on twitter question for you. Obviously, you love the Miami Dolphins and you love music. If you could have been a world-famous singer-songwriter or a world-famous Super Bowl-winning quarterback or other position, which would you have chosen? Great podcast and writing as always. Well, thank you, Martin. I appreciate the kind words. It's always been sports for me. and. I know I'm 150 pounds. I probably don't look like much of an athlete, but you go back to the days when I grew up, I would run home, like sprint home to get my baseball glove. I had one of those nets in my backyard where you could throw the ball and it would bounce back to you like ground ball if you threw it high, pop fly if you threw it low. I would get my bat out. My brother would pitch to me. All I cared about was sports, mostly baseball, a lot of basketball as well, playing in front of my driveway in December when it was 20 degrees outside, and I was actually a pretty damn good athlete as well, All-State player in baseball at second base and shortstop. I was an honorable mention in my conference my senior year in basketball on a terrible 4-16 and team. I was the quarterback of my Little League football team. That's where my career ended in football though. So it's always been about sports to me. All of my memories are basically attached to sports memories. And as much as I love music and as great as it would be to be a rock star and not get your head bashed in, to me, competition is everything. And I would love to be a quarterback and just live and breathe the football lifestyle. Hell, I can't get enough of watching football and breaking down the stuff right now as a fan and a journalist and an amateur analyst if i was involved in the game my life would be 24 7 football and there was nothing i'd rather do than that so give me the professional sports career with the championship and all the money and fame that comes along with that all about sports baby next one here comes in from chris murray he's at murray c89 on twitter with reports that tunzel has not signed an extension yet in houston what are the chances he could return to miami or is he simply not a fit in flores defense now Uh, well Tunzel's on the offensive line we'll go ahead and talk about Laramie Tunzel I'm not sure if you mean Minka I I doubt he would come back we'll go ahead and stick with Tunzel though because I think that's an apt idea and the fact that he has not yet signed that extension with a Houston front office that doesn't have a general manager and we'll see what they can do going forward to repair that roster now that they have zero draft picks I would imagine that signing Laramie Tunzel to the richest left tackle contract in the history of the league has to be a priority for Houston because otherwise what the hell were you doing? Did Bill O'Brien just only care about this season and possibly next and just basically flush the entire future of the Houston Texans franchise down the toilet with or without Bob at the helm. Now, as far as Tunzel's return to Miami or potential return to Miami, I think he'd be open for it. He even mentioned when the Dolphins brought him in to tell him about the trade, he said, yeah, I would have done that trade too, because like we talked about on this podcast, they got quarterback prices for an offensive lineman. And I do think he would have to come in and repair his penalty problem because once again, he leads offensive linemen in penalties like he kind of does throughout the course of, His career, but I would be all about paying Tunzel to come back and basically changing the way you can develop an offensive line. I know the idea exists out there that maybe Brian Flores didn't care so much about getting Tunzel locked up or keeping him here because it's more about a five man unit. He talked about continuity and consistency of that group playing as one. And with Tunzel, you could basically put him on an island and isolate your pass protection that way. But I still think that's not really that big of a deal. And you could have Tunzel here and have a great offensive line with him, obviously. Better than the one you have now, as the left tackle position for Miami this year has been the worst position on the entire field. So I think that if he hits free agency and the Dolphins are open to it, I think he would be too. But will they spend that kind of money on the offensive line? We'll see. I think this offseason will tell us plenty about their plans in the future. Maybe you don't get the left tackle this year and you go into 2021 with the option of possibly signing Tunzel back or drafting Panay Sewell from Oregon, who, for my money, is one of the best left tackle prospects to come out since Tunzel came out out in 2016. Next question here from Evan F. He's at Mr. underscore game of fame. Which prospects do you believe are overrated in the 2020 NFL draft? I think we had this question last week. So I'll go by it quickly. I think Grant Delpit, the LSU safety, much like Greedy Williams last year is an overrated player. Not to say he's not good. I just don't think he's a top 10, top 15 type of prospect. And I would rather have both Isaiah Simmons and Antoine Winfield and Xavier McKinney for that matter over Grant Delpit. I think Justin Herbert is not a good quarterback. I don't, trust him at all to do anything so I think that he'll get overdrafted wherever he gets picked I think Jacob Eason is that way as well I think Andrew Thomas might be a little bit overrated not that he's not good but I think that maybe not quite the top five top ten prospect and I think that Tyler Bayadash at Wisconsin is a bit overrated as well again all good players but I think probably going to get drafted higher than they belong in the draft so I went to Grant Delpit we'll go ahead and put Andrew Thomas Tyler Bayadash Justin Herbert and we'll go with Jacob Eason on that list as well Next one here comes in from BDennis underscore Dixon. He's at Duke underscore Dennis on Twitter. Hey, Travis, great job keeping us Finn fans in the loop and happy holidays. Well, thank you, sir. Happy holidays to you as well. Do you expect the trend of acquiring a large number of undrafted rookies to continue after the upcoming draft? Or is this just the result of the coaches utilizing their extended preseason? Hashtag Fins into house. I mean, yeah, this year was about that extended evaluation like we talked about, right? Like the entire 16-game season was a preseason evaluation, and that's why you've seen them make, what is it, 70-something waiver claims this year, or make 74 roster moves, whatever it was, playing 80 players in the games on Sundays. And I do think there is a history of these guys from this coaching staff going back to the New England years, where they did have a priority on undrafted free agents, and the Dolphins scouting department has Pretty much done a great job as well as anybody over the years finding undrafted free agents. Area scouts are basically there to uncover guys like that. They'll make stops at small schools all over the country and try to find guys who are not maybe as well known in the public eye. Like last year, for instance, the West area scout finding Preston Williams. What a feather in his cap. You've got Nick Needham from the South, the South scout from UTEP coming out that way. And that might've been the same scout. I'm not sure how those regions or borders are drawn, but either way, good job finding two undrafted players there. You go way back to Dan Carpenter. Another time the West scout got it right with the kicker there. You also had Devon Bess out of Hawaii. So another West region guy, maybe promote that guy. I'm just kidding. I think it was two different people, but either way, the West region scout getting it done for Miami. And I think that undrafted free agents are going to be kind of how this team is built going forward in terms of just continuously restocking those cupboards, finding the guys that work the right way, who work the hardest and fit what you do because this team more so than most other teams in the NFL, is going to be about fit and how you build the program around guys like that. So there will be an emphasis on undrafted free agents going forward. It's not going to be as close to this year because this year was just so unique on the NFL landscape. All right, we're going to come back and take more of your Twitter questions. But first, if you're looking for a last minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tee makes sports t-shirts around the team's most passionate, memorable moments like the Miami Miracle. Great for all fans. Go to BreakingTee.com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts.
0: Oh,
1: Dave Grohl, you're one of the greatest of all time, sir, as we press on here on this Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast and jump right now back into your questions on the Twitter mailbag. As you listen to the show, I am most likely in South Florida getting some beers and some food with my wife and Kevin Dern, the former co-host of Welcome to Perfectville, now the co or the defensive coordinator, I should say, of Locked On Dolphins in our podcast and our site up on LOD.com. Your questions, Twitter mailbag, this one from Taylor Zemlicka, definitely butchered that one, at Zemlicka4 on Twitter, considering the Steelers and Jets game features your favorites, draft picks and Adam Gase, who you got in that one? I think the. Ah, it's tough. I want to say the Jets can win that game because I think that the Steelers are so overrated and have been lucky for so long this year. And perhaps we finally see them deflate around Duck Hodges, who threw the four picks in the game on Sunday night against the Bills. And I found it funny that you go back to Mike Tomlin's presser when they had to make a choice between Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. When he said, well, one guy doesn't kill us. And you go back to that tweet, and you could almost basically just guarantee that sometime in the future, that guy was going to kill you because if that's your endorsement for a quarterback, you probably need a new quarterback. I don't trust Duck Hodges to get anything done. I think he's not an NFL quarterback, and that's to be expected. An FCS player, uh, undrafted free agent, third string quarterback, you wouldn't expect much more than that. But the Jets can't block anybody. They definitely won't be able to block the Steelers' pass rush. So I do think Pittsburgh gets it done. And then from there, we're going to have to rely on the Ravens' backups beating Pittsburgh in Week 17 for Miami to get that pick in the top 20s because that's how the Steelers will miss the playoffs if they lose that Week 17 game. And the Titans beat the Texans in Week 17, who could also be playing their backups as they clinch the division this weekend with a win. Over Tampa Bay next question from Aaron Herman at DE underscore Aaron if the Dolphins get the number two pick and don't want young do you think they can get a good trade package and move back a few spots and still get Tua? a That would be absolutely ideal if you ask me because I do think Chase Young will go number two overall even if it's the Dolphins, they could get that trade up and only go back a couple of spots maybe. Maybe somebody wants to jump the Giants and then from there if it's the Giants picking three for instance and Washington picking four maybe Washington wants to pull a fast one on the Giants, jump up over them, get the guy they covet and then Miami with the fourth pick and the Giants only in their way, they're not picking Tua Tungabailoa you get Tua in that spot, that would be ideal. Maybe you could pick up an additional second round pick in the future, maybe a third round pick. That would be awesome and the perfect scenario. And I could definitely see Miami doing it. I do think Miami's going to be very aggressive on the draft this year and in drafts for the future to come because that's the Patriot model. Trade up, trade down. Identify your guys, figure out where their value is, and go up and get them, or move back, get more draft picks, and you continuously can restock the cupboards that way. If that's your philosophy and you stick to it, that's what Steven Ross wants. Chris Greer came from New England. Brian Flores came from New England. That is what you're going to get. Next question here from Hugo Torres, at Agent Hugo Torres on Twitter. Who do you have penciled in as a starter next season from the current roster, and what positions do we need a clear upgrade for? Well, I think that the clear upgrades are offensive line, your defensive backfield because of injuries, which will get a lot of reinforcements through the IR and guys on the roster currently. I think the front seven needs lots of reinforcements as well, both off the edge, some interior rotational guys, and at linebacker, more role players in that regard. I think quarterback is obviously a big need for future purposes, because I believe Ryan Fitzpatrick's played really well this year and could be a viable starter next season. Imagine Ryan Fitzpatrick on like the Chicago Bears this year. That team would have won 11 or 12 games with old Fitz out there. As far as penciled in starters, I think Fitzpatrick for now is in pencil, not in pen. Nobody at running back. Devontae Parker would be in pen for me as a starting receiver. Preston Williams too when he is healthy. Mike Kosicki also in pen at tight end. On the offensive line, I would say Jesse Davis is the lone guy in pencil. We'll see how much that changes. On the defensive side, I would put Christian Wilkins and Devon Godshaw in pen at linebacker. I think Jerome Baker's in at Pencil, Raekwon McMillan in at Pencil as well, and maybe Vince Beagle in Pencil, but all those guys could get erased for better players that fit those skill sets and move them back to rotational roles. In the secondary, Eric Rose written down in pen, Xavier Howard's written down in pen, and I'll put Bobby McCain on there in Pencil as well. So that's about it. We got a lot of way to go to build this roster. Next question from Brian Watson at Mountain Underscore Man. Hey Trav, thanks for all you do for us Fin fans. Appreciated. No problem. Thank you for listening. Question for you. Any chance they try Dieter at center in camp and next season? He played well there in college and is not cutting it at guard. It's a huge weakness of ours. So looking for options. Fin's up. Fin's up to you as well, sir. Fin's up, Brian. I think that's an option they could explore. And I talked to Michael Dieter in training camp myself and Safid Dean talked to him after practice one day and Safid wanted to talk about sunflower seeds and the candies he brings to the locker room or into the film room. And I was like, let's talk some ball here, man. And so I asked Michael Dieter where he prefers to play on the offensive line, what the differences are in the technique. And he basically said, look, man, it's all football. And you can kind of get that sense from some guys. Some guys will tell you that football is football and it's not that complex. Other guys will tell you it's extremely complex. I just find that juxtaposition funny. But back to the main point, and I've played this clip for you guys a million times here on the podcast where I asked Michael Dieter about Josh Sitton's quote last year saying that learning how to play the opposite side of the offensive line is like learning how to wipe your backside with your left hand. And Michael Dieter thought that was funny, although he didn't agree. He thinks that wiping your opposite hand will be tougher than switching sides on the offensive line. To get back to the main point here and to answer your question ultimately Dieter told me that he prefers playing on the inside. Doesn't care if it's guard or center, left guard or right guard. He is an interior offensive lineman. I think that his physical traits would display that quite vehemently, especially when you watch him play left tackle against Dallas. I do believe there's some hope for him at center. Played there at Wisconsin, like you mentioned, he... Just hasn't been as cerebrally sound and has the football acumen to play that position this year. I think that's why they haven't tried him there. I think they trust Daniel Kilgore for what he does, getting the protection calls, making the right adjustments as far as picking up stunts and twists and games. I don't think Dieter is there yet. That's been a big issue for him this year at guard. So you definitely cannot put him at center in that regard. But I do believe that if you kind of develop him in that way, yeah, he could be a center But at the end of the day, I think that position is going to be very, very important for this team going forward. A lot of folks in New England think that the reason this offense is terrible this year for the Patriots is because they lost David Andrews, and they've always had a good center in New England when Tom Brady was there. So I do think that'll be an emphasis this season. So if they think they can get Creed Humphrey or Tyler Byadash or Nick Harris, then you probably don't worry too much about moving Dieter inside to center. Next question here from otter123 at Jace Otter Lifter on Twitter. Will Laird, Cox, Bellage and Gaskin all make the roster next year? I don't think that all four of them will. I think if they want to go 21 personnel and use more fullbacks in this offense, I think you have to do better than Chandler Cox because I'm just not a believer in his game. He has a couple of those nice blocks where he squares it up and blows dudes up, but it's not consistent. He hasn't been involved in the passing game at all. And whether or not you want to believe beat writers, that's a reason to... to to really chastise the coaching staff, I guess you can do that. I tend to think that maybe they don't see much for his game and practice and thus won't give him the reps. I trust those guys over the beat writers. As far as Laird, Balazs, and Gaskin, I think there's room for one, maybe two of them. I don't think it'll be Kalen Balazs. I see no reason to bring that guy back whatsoever. Doesn't excel at anything you want to do in this offense. I think Patrick Laird has shown flashes for how to kind of get those quiet yards, turn out big plays in the passing game, and just be elusive enough at the point. But mostly his vision is his best aspect of his game. I think that'll go a long way. And I think Miles Gaskin's a decent runner that could have a chance. I'll say that one of the two between Laird and Gaskin's here next year with an outside shot that one. Then comes back as a fourth back on the roster to compete with guys that are going to be undrafted or late round draft picks. I think Miami's going to invest heavily at running back this year. Maybe not first round picks and big free agent dollars, but they're going to bring a lot of dudes in to compete at that position because it has to get better in 2020. Next question from William at Brunswick Kane on Twitter Do you see any coaching staff changes next year or will the staff remain intact? I think it'll probably stay mostly intact. Unless they bring Jim Caldwell back, that could be the only thing I think they would do to change after he got healthier, hopefully. I still am not sure what's going on with Jim Caldwell as far as his health. That's obviously number one. But if he is healthy and he wants to coach here, that could be in addition to the coaching staff. But I don't think they'll fire anybody. I think if they would have, it would have been done by now like they did with Pat Flaherty in the offseason or in training camp, I should say, once they got a hold of Dave DiGuglielmo. But I think that for the most part, this coaching staff is going to be here in year two and be given a chance to develop this roster going forward. Let's do one last one before the break, and then we'll get to more of these on the other side of the podcast. This one from Travis Moore, at Moore for me on Twitter. This would probably never happen, but crazy, unexpected stuff happens in the NFL. Say Cincinnati decides to draft someone other than Joe Burrow, and he becomes available at Miami's pick, and they take him. What's your optimism level with him as the guy going forward? I think if you look at Joe Burrow in a vacuum this year, and if you extrapolated that production over the course of two or three college seasons, then there would be no apprehension about his game whatsoever. And for whatever reason, I talked about it in the crossover podcast on Wednesday. I still do have some reservations. And a lot of that comes from the lack of the physical stature in terms of the big, strong arm and the quick twitch ability in the pocket. Now, I do believe that Burrow has enough athleticism to make free rushers miss. And he's so well adept in that scheme at getting the football out of his hands and throwing right in behind pressure. But I still wonder if the jump to the next level could kind of tarnish what he did a little bit and revert him back to his previous years in college especially if he's not in the right scheme but that said I do believe this scheme would be great for Joe Burrow so I'd have a lot of excitement about their ability to develop him I'll just be real with you guys I trust Jerry Shaplinsky and Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores to get the right quarterback and to develop them so if they find a guy they like and they believe in it and they trust it I'm going to put my trust in those coaches because they know way more football than I ever will All right, we're going to come back and finish up this mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, a Friday edition, here next, LOD podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins.
0: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of
1: reinforcements? Maybe it's time
0: for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy.
1: One more segment until game day on Sunday, covering the game from the press box at Hard Rock Stadium. Yours truly, 3-0 doing that. I'll be there with Kevin Dern. Cannot wait to watch a game in that capacity with him. One of the brightest football minds I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And we will, as you hear this podcast, have met for the first time after, what, 12 or 15 years of knowing each other on message boards and Twitter. Pretty crazy to think about. Football is the greatest thing ever. It brings people together for the most part. And with that, we jump now back in to the Twitter mailbag up on my timeline. You guys know the drill. I put the call out for questions. You respond and we go from the top down and answer as many as we can. This one comes in from Joseph L. Rendon, at Joseph L. Rendon on Twitter. Love it when it's that easy. Travis, happy holidays, man. You as well, sir. Thanks for the hard work and the podcast. Thank you. You've been concerned about Jerome Baker's role on this defense. Is there any reason to believe a guy with his skill set could be a fit it at safety. No, I don't think that he has the traits to transition to a position like safety, whether it's his coverage skills or his quickness or his long speed. Now, he is a fast linebacker as far as that position goes. I think that Jerome Baker's best position would be a 4-3 outside linebacker in a scheme like the one that Jacksonville and Seattle run, kind of that Leo position where he can come down off the edge and rush and not have to worry about holding the point of attack against the running game. And he can drop into coverage in that spot, buzz the flats, and use that lateral agility and instincts that he plays. Plays with to really excel this defense asked him to take on more blockers and to be more physical at the point and rush the a gaps i'm just not sure if he's suited to do that so i wonder if maybe he could be a trade piece in the offseason because i think a team like seattle or jacksonville they might actually pay you a premium for jerome Baker's services maybe as much as a second round draft pick and i would do that all day long. Next question from Kyle Smith at Kyle Smith, 1626. What are the chances that after the off season is over and we look at the roster, we say not what I expected to happen. Probably a hundred percent, man. Like this team is not going to build in anything other than the vision they have for themselves. And I don't think any of us, myself included with all my connections and all the analysis and all the research I do on this team, I really do I'm just kind of shooting from the hip. I mean, it's educated guesses, but I am just guessing at the end of the day and we'll see what they have in store for us. They've kept a tight lipped, nature around this entire staff and this regime with Brian Flores, they don't let much get out of those walls. And I think that's probably where some of the vitriol comes from, some of these beat writers who don't have that access anymore. And while it might be great on the surface or sound great to do the Madden approach and sign Byron Jones and sign Jadavian Clowney and sign Matt Judon, which those guys would be awesome. I think it's going to be more about low bargain type of resources. Maybe they trade some draft picks and make player trades to make the big time splash and big time acquisition. But I just don't think you're going to see them go out like the Oakland Raiders and buy every single person in free agency this offseason. I think that's probably the expectation. I don't think that's what will happen. But again, I could be wrong. I think 100% chance you're going to be in for a surprise this offseason, regardless of what happens. Next question here from Slane24701, at Slane24701, is Tua and Albert Wilson's hip injury similar? If so, is that going to be the time frame we are looking at for Tua to get back to full health? I think that the injury itself is different. I'm not really the best person to ask for medical stuff on because I just don't know that much and I don't make it my point to go out and research that stuff, although I probably should on Tua's hip. I know that when it came to Albert Wilson's hip and Kevin Dern, our friend here of the podcast, mentioned that his wife has experience with hip injuries being in the medical field and she said basically if you get the surgery you're never going to be the same and if you don't get the surgery you're also never going to be the same luckily for Albert Wilson last Sunday was the best he's looked since that hip injury and that was what a 14-15 month time frame for him but I don't think that he had a fracture and I know he didn't have surgery Tua had the fracture and surgery so probably a longer term recovery but the good news as far as being a Tua Tungavailoa supporter is that Albert Wilson and plays a position and his entire game is based around hip action and jumping around and being quick twitch and lateral agility. Tua does use his hips to drive a lot of that weight back and forth when he moves in the pocket or throws the football. So it's not going to not have an impact. It just won't be as severe as the impact Albert Wilson has and the strain he puts on the hip. So I do think that timeline could be similar for Tua because it's more serious in, a more serious injury, but less use of those hips in the way he plays his game. So I think if It's a 14-month injury. He got hurt in what? November. So that puts him basically out for the entire 2020 season. And then you can come back with a full off-season of program and work and practice and film study in 2021 as the unchallenged starter for this Dolphins football team. Let's get to one more here. Actually, let's do two more because the next two on the list, I like both of them. Let's go ahead and do this first one from Alejo Vidal on Twitter. He's at Alejo Vidal on Twitter. I have not seen any improvement from the offensive line, although they have been the healthiest unit on the team. Is coaching a concern or is it a lack of talent? It's a lack of talent. We knew this offensive line was bad coming into the season. Whether it was, you know, the four guys outside of Laramie Tunzel all had issues and warts in their game. And the reason they fired Pat Flaherty was because he was resistant towards playing rookies on the offensive line, like a Michael Dieter saying he was not ready to play yet. The Dolphins disagreed and that's where Pat Flaherty goes out. Dave DeGugliamo comes in and all of a sudden Chris Reed goes from a starting right guard to a guy that got cut a couple weeks ago because they didn't jive with their vision. So I think it's a little bit of both, but the talent on this offensive line is so depleted I just don't think you can really evaluate the group or the coaching staff because of that, because this offensive line is the worst in pass blocking, according to Pro Football Focus, the worst in run blocking, and for my eyes, the worst offensive line I've ever seen. In my life. Last question here. Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte underscore one. Does Miami need to address the tight end position in the offseason? If they do, do they go more of a pass catching one like Mike Kosicki or go after a guy like Durham Smythe who can get the job done in the blocking game? I think they will address tight end. And maybe it's a third tight end, like a Clive Walford. You saw the impact that Clive could have in the 12 personnel package. He just didn't catch the damn football on Sunday. Durham Smythe, to me, has gotten a lot better recently in the blocking game. So he could be back. Maybe he's the third tight end. And the guy you go out and acquire is a second tight end. But to answer the end of your question, definitely a blocking type of tight end because they want to use Gasicki, 11 personnel, and they want to use those big double Ys and 12 personnel to help them run the football and throw to the receivers on the play action. So it will be a tight end number two or three and more of a big blocking type, not the Mike Kosicki type. All right. That's a great spot to wrap up this podcast for the week. We're going to have a special edition of the recap podcast on Sunday post-game right from Hard Rock Stadium. I might have Kevin Durham with me. I might not. We'll see about that on Sunday. As for now, you guys have a great weekend. And you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you on Sunday night for a recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.